You're listening to the Overcast. Sunshine on a cloudy day. Part of the Oversoul Gaming Channel. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Overcast, the podcast focused on fun. I am your host, Oversoul, bringing you sunshine on a cloudy day, and I am joined in this week's episode by my brother Dalton, a.k.a. Inky Lumberjack. How are you doing? What's new with you? What's going on? Uh, doing good. Not much going on as of late. I mean, I've booked out decently for tattooing, so that's always a benefit. But uh, other than that, just playing a lot of video games, consuming media, sitting on the house, being lazy. Well, nothing wrong with being lazy, especially when you work hard. You work hard so you can play hard, am I right? Yeah, exactly. There we have it. Well, folks, today's topic of interest is actually going to be God of War Ragnarok. Dalton here just recently finished it and enjoyed it, and um, we're going to be digging pretty deep into it. It'll be a spoiler cast, but first, we're going to have a spoiler-free discussion. Just give our basic thoughts on it and our review score on a 10 scale. And then, um, after that, we will have a spoiler filled discussion and there will be a warning so that you can peace out at that point if you don't want to hear any spoilers so with all that in mind before we do any of that let's get into the media corner come on Annie. let's go to the movies all right welcome to the media corner where we talk about some of the fun things in media that we've been enjoying lately things that we want to recommend to you so that you can enjoy them as well uh, I think, first and foremost, lately, the the thing I most recently saw at the time of recording this is this movie called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Have you heard of this? I haven't. You haven't heard of it? Okay. So, the basic premise of this movie is that this um, lady, she's a Chinese immigrant. She basically gets involved in this multiversal chaos. There's a evil woman with the same powers as Pennywise that's trying to destroy the universes, and this woman is the chosen one to stand up to her. And what ensues is a lot of weirdness and comedy and chaos and some of the best visual effects I've ever seen in a movie. Some of the the, the way they handle the multiverse stuff is really cool. Um, the way it's all put together, and the whole thing is, like, one big metaphor for just, like, letting go. Some of it is really weird, like, some of the universes are really stupid, but the movie is self-aware about that fact, of the fact that they're stupid, and it calls attention to it. (laughs) And it's... It's just beautiful. I don't want to give people... Like, I don't want to spoil any of the universes for people. Like, this is one that you definitely have to see. It is... It is, like, half subtitled, you know, because some of the characters are Chinese immigrants, um, but it's also in English, too. There's a lot of... Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of both, and there is, like, one universe in particular where everything is silent, and it's specifically in subtitles, but the reason for that is actually, like, super impactful to the narrative, Right. uh, Now, um, did you go see that in theaters, or did you, like, actually use, like, a streaming service? So it's on Showtime, and oh, okay. we we have Showtime as an add-on to Paramount Plus. Right. So that's how we ended up watching it. Um, 
I don't know if it's available anywhere else. You would probably have to have that or rent it if you wanted to watch it. But Okay, yeah. I highly recommend a lot of people, a lot of podcasts I listen to, and a lot of people say that it's one of the like one of the best, if not the best movie they saw in 2022. And once I finally got around to watching it, I completely understood why. <laughs> it does take a little bit to kick into high gear, but once it does, it does not slow down until the end. And oh, it is okay. like a two, it's a two and a half hour movie, so the beginning does drag a little bit, but. Yeah. But it's, it's so good. I think I, anytime I like movies get like an extraordinary length, they kind of like, they can taper off after a while, but. It normally is like a slow start and it builds into a good climax instead of like just everything up front and slow at the end. So they pay something pretty well for the most part. Yeah, and this has got to be one of the best payoffs I've ever seen to all the buildup in in a movie. Just the way that everything happens literally everywhere all at once at the end of the movie is perfect. (laughs) Hmm. All right, yeah, I, I'll I'll probably check it out. Honestly, like for me, I haven't been watching movies as much. I've been watching shows, and one that I'm like really hooked on, like when Lindsay's not around, if I'm just like watching something on my own, I'm choosing to watch Ozark because I recently started it. Um, I know that it's old, so I'm trying to avoid spoiler territory as much as possible. Um, but yeah, I recently started it. I really love it. Jason Bateman does an incredible job in the lead. Uh, and like every supporting character is, I feel like, right in their place. It it gives me like Breaking Bad vibes on the show being about like the nerdy dude who probably shouldn't be involved in the largest crime syndicates that they're involved in. So, like, for Breaking Bad, the premise was Walt was a chemistry teacher and he became a meth cook. Well, this show is Marty Bird is a financial um, advisor and, like, an account broker, but he works as a money launderer for the Mexican cartel. Okay. I was about to ask, for those who don't know, if you could give us, like, a synopsis of what it's about. But that actually sounds really interesting. Oh, God, it's so good. And, like, Jason Bateman I'd normally seen in comedy roles and everything. Like, I think it was the switch-up, I think, he was in with Ryan Reynolds where they switched bodies. And then he, he's been in so many other things, Horrible Bosses, and, um, like, I think he's been all God, around. I actually rem- I remember but, the switch-up, and I remember it not being very memorable. <laughs> so you just, like, brought back a repressed memory there. Um yeah, I think I've maybe seen it once, but I know that like Jason Bateman's done a lot of comedy stuff too. So, I mean, I I also saw him in another movie on Netflix that I'm completely losing the name of, where he is like an older dude. Um, he's he's like probably mid thirties in the movie, and the whole premise of the movie is that he's like a he's going to kids spelling bees because he found out a loophole in their system. That since he never technically graduated eighth grade, he can be in regional spelling bees with eighth graders. So he's just like sitting there studying and outclassing like all these like 13, 14 year olds. And it's and he has like a genius level intellect. So it's really funny for him to be in that situation, too. Huh. 
So, a little fact-checking here, but would the movie you were talking about be called Bad Words? Yes. Came out in t- I think so. Came out in 2000, uh, 2013? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, again, it's an older movie, but, like, somebody recommended it to me on Netflix while I was tattooing them, and we watched it. It was hilarious. Yeah, it's about a, a loophole in a spelling bee. Oh, that's got Katherine Hahn in it, who plays Agatha Harkness in WandaVision, and she's also in mm-hmm. um, Glass Onion, the Knives Out movie. She's also in Step Brothers. Oh, is she? I didn't yeah, remember she that. Plays, she plays um, Derek's brother's wife that is in love with Dale. Yeah. Um. So I won't dig too deep into this because I know that you're not caught up, so I don't want to spoil anything, especially because of the places it's been going. But I have to give a shout out to My Hero Academia because season six oh, okay. yeah. is probably the best season I've seen so far. And every season of that show that comes out, I say is the best season so far because it just gets better and better and better and better. Like, I don't think... I don't think there are very many shows like this out there where each season is consistently better than the one before it. There are a lot of shows like Supernatural, for example, that fluctuate up and down in terms of quality, you know, uh, from season to season. Family Guy, South Park, a lot of stuff I watch does that. But this show is consistently improving with each season and might be the only show I can safely say has ever done that, with the exception of maybe Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yeah, Breaking Bad's really, really good. But it's just the places they're going with the story now, and they're like, you know, no spoilers here, but they're starting to paint the villains in a more sympathetic light, and it's it's taking the narrative in some very interesting turns. Oh no, trust me, I wish I was caught up on My Hero. I'm just like really bad at catching up on anime. If a lot of it's not on Netflix or anything, I'm probably not caught up on it, and I know that feels bad. And I need to get better. Like, I know a Crunchyroll subscription is, like, not that expensive, but yeah. I, I just, yeah, yeah. I need to get on my game. Yeah, because Crunchyroll bought out Funimation, so you can get it on either mm-hmm. or now. Um, but they're also on Hulu, just not up to the current season. Funimation gets it first, and Hulu gets it later. But you can yeah. you can watch all the way to the end of Season 5 in English on Hulu now, I think. so. Okay. Um, so that's definitely an option. Um, yeah, we get Hulu through our Verizon account. I just wish it was the ad-free version, because having ads in shows is no longer something that I really enjoy. We we got too spoiled by the Netflix era of, like, let's take all ads out, and then now anything with ads I feel like is a burden. <laughs> I, I, I feel that, like, even if you... And it's weird, because Peacock has a premium option, and even with that, you still get ads on some things. I mean, honestly, like, if you're going to give me ads, I would prefer that you give me, like, five minutes at the beginning of a show. That way, like, I can go take a piss or something or go, like, get food or a snack before I sit down and try to, like, watch what I'm going to watch. But, like, when you just break up the show now, it it seems so pointless to me because I'm like, I would rather just binge. And I don't want to see ads breaking up my binge. Yeah, that's, um... That's what they do on Prime. Over on Prime, they just play an ad for one of their own shows at the beginning of the episode, and then after that, no ads. Yeah, and I've and I've never really complained about that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish that was less frequent, but no, nah, it's still fine to me. So I actually... Like, I, I like the way Amazon went about it. 
I actually had the ad-free version of Hulu, um, but I had to save some money. And they had a Black Friday deal recently where... Uh, for new subscribers, you could get the ad-supported version for only $2 a month for a year. So I uh, used a different email and signed up for it because, frankly, I'm trying to save some money right now. And I don't use Hulu. Yeah, no, that's that's everybody. We're in a post-COVID world, man. Yeah. Work is hard. Yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Oh, um, the only other thing I really had, uh, in my media corner this episode is there's a kind of popular but kind of obscure YouTube channel I wanted to tell people about called Dr. ER. Um, he is an actual doctor. He, um, he works in the, you know, the emergency room and all that, obviously. He's a surgeon. And what he does is he takes recommendations of scenes from movies, video games, cartoons, stuff like that, that are medical related. So either injuries or like just general medical stuff. And he reacts, right. he, he reacts to it and then educates the audience on it. So, oh, so we're talking about things like Family Guy, South Park, where people are getting like their limbs blown off and stuff. And he will actually mm-hmm. dig into the specifics. Like, like what exactly is happening medically? Like he'll be like, oh, they severed this tendon like right here. Yes, exactly. And he's done that. Oh, that's so funny. He's done that with like Happy Tree Friends. He's done that with. So one of his recent videos was reacting to violent scenes from God of War Ragnarok. Actually, um, was one of the ones he did. So he's done like Saw movies and stuff like that. I can like imagine that. that that's a riot. Yeah, he's he's really fun. I I found him by complete accident. I don't know how. I think it was just like really? related to something else. Yeah. So, um I think that that's one of the more fun and educational channels that people can watch. And, yeah, that's pretty sick. And it's it's accessible because they do censor the more heavy stuff, you know, you got to heavily censor a lot of crap on YouTube these days, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, actually, like, um, when thinking of that, like, I, I had one more, like, music recommendation, I guess, but you might even have to censor this band's name, because the band's name is Scumfuck. It's a deathcore band. Um, uh, it has the same lead singer as Infant Annihilator, which is another deathcore band, but uh, the lead singer's name is Dickie Allen, and he's known as the Goblin King, and he streams and everything, so when you were saying, like, YouTube, it led me to that, because... He's actually been streaming a lot of, like, DMZ uh, for Call of Duty on Twitch, and, like, he's been playing Warzone and everything. So I've been watching him a lot because, like, me and uh, my best friend Ryan have actually been playing a lot of DMZ as well. So it's kind of a relevant channel for me. DMZ, that's... It's, It's a new game mode in Call of Duty Warzone. Okay. So, like... Warzone 2 came out. So DMZ, how it works is you get like these missions that you can accomplish and you can go in with squads of three and you get these missions that you can accomplish and there's enemy AI in the game like all over. So like you can storm a stronghold, for instance, to get like better loot. Um, So it's a lot like a battle royale, but it's like mission based too. And then there's also real enemy players in the same lobby. So if they've been doing a lot of missions, missions and you feel like at the end of it you want to take their stuff you could compete with them before you extract and like get the get all their stuff and exfil with it and then have it going into the next round it's pretty cool it's a really fun game mode it it was really refreshing to see for call of duty okay 
Okay. Yeah, I'm not like a much of a Call of Duty fan myself, but it's always yeah. it's always great to hear other people being passionate about the things that they like. That's what we're all about. No, I mean, there was a day that me and Ryan, I think we we'd sat and played it for like twelve straight hours. We had nothing else going on because he works like a only weekend shift, and I I I think it was a Monday, so we were both off, and we started at like ten in the morning and got off somewhere around like midnight that night. Just constantly playing. It was it was really really funny. Wow, wow. Yeah, we reflected back on it. And we were like, dude, I don't know how we killed this much time in a game mode like this. I'm like, I don't either, but it shows that I had fun. So I guess that's good. Our uh, our brother in law Ryan played Stray finally recently and pretty much beat it in one sitting, more or less. Yeah, he said he loved it. Yeah, I would. That that made me very happy to hear. Um, and by the way, yeah, you can curse on this podcast to an extent. Most of the podcasts I listen to, they swear, so it's not... Uh, yeah, isn't it nowadays, like, YouTube doesn't... As long as you're marked, like, hey, age-restricted... Or not age-restricted, but, like, age uh, warning. Like, if if you're in, like, a, hey, we have mature content on this channel page. I think it's, like, if you don't swear in, like, the first... 30 seconds or so they're okay with it. I don't even remember the rules anymore, though. There's actually, um, ProZD put out a pretty funny video about this. It's about, like, YouTube's whole thing about cursing. The 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 video is only 48 seconds long, and it's called YouTube is Run by Fools. And, um... No, okay. Yeah, like, I could actually... I could Sorry, Susan. Probably just play the audio real quick. I don't think that'll be a problem. YouTube's new policy for limiting ads is if you have any profanity within the first 8 to 15 seconds of a video, then the advertising revenue will be limited. So just uh, wait a few seconds here. That's the dumbest fucking shit I've ever heard. Anyway, hey YouTube. Yeah. How about all the channels you support? That's with hilarious. Ads that hate speech regularly. Did they say a no-no? I mean, fun, fun fact: all a lot of my old Outlast videos got demonetized, specifically because it's Outlast, and you know, I didn't retroactively go back and censor the content of videos that were made years ago. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's just dumb. They make new rules, and it affects your old content. Yeah, it affects the revenue, affects the content, and honestly, I think that there might. I, I think YouTube's going to learn soon that it's going to affect people's drive to stay on the platform. I guess really the good thing is they do have good shorts, so like shorts becoming popular, of course, with like formats like TikTok coming around. YouTube does have good payout for their shorts. I've heard, uh, at least I've. Like, that's that's what I've read from, like, other sources and other podcasters is saying that, like, shorts uh, are actually really good for content creators because it makes them, like, the most money as far as short-form content. Like, it's better than Instagram. It's better than TikTok. Like, YouTube's on top of that game. But I feel like that whenever they go, like, two steps forward, they also take, like, one step back so they don't advance too much. And right now we're seeing that with, like, their monetization policies. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they just make changes that aren't great. And then sometimes they make changes that are. One change they made recently, I will tell you, that is actually a good one, is now when you upload a video, and it after it's uploaded and it starts processing, on your studio page, you can actually see an estimation of how much longer it's going to take to process now. 
So you're not sitting there. Oh wow, that, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, you're not sitting there wondering like when you upload a 4K video like directly from the PS5 or whatever, that thing can take like up to nine right. nine hours to process, if not longer. And oh damn, sometimes I'd be sitting there refreshing it a thousand times, like why is it not showing up in 4K yet? And then the next day it would be fine. Well, now I can actually see how long it's going to take. So yeah, so that's useful. That's extremely useful. <laughs> All right, well, I guess that will do it for the media corner. Now it's time to move on to the topic of this episode. Boy, 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 boy. All right, everyone, it's time for the topic of interest. This week's topic of interest is God of War Ragnarok. My brother and I will be discussing the game since we've both finished it. And our first half of the discussion will be spoiler-free for your convenience. And then before we get into spoiler discussion, we will give it a rating. That way you can get our basic thoughts. And then you can peace out before the spoilers hit, if you so wish. So, uh, Dalton, initial thoughts on the game, just like in general. Initial thoughts was, I thought it was extremely well-polished compared to... God of War 2018, just visually, uh, in the first, like, 30 minutes of the game, the the visuals, like, the footprints that you were leaving in the snow being traced, and, like, different paths, and, like, if you rolled in the snow, it created a larger imprint than when your footprints were there. Like, the small details like that, showing how much that, like, the visual department paid attention to this game, I was ready for, like, a really good ride. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you that you brought stuff like that up because this is definitely a visually impressive game and I didn't even really think about the small details like that because I was so focused on some of the more jaw-dropping things that this game has to offer in terms of narrative and set pieces. And we'll dig more into the, some of these set pieces and spoilers uh section, but I will say that this game has some like absolutely breathtaking set pieces like my god just like the the scenery just certain areas that you go to and the scenery involved in them was nothing short of beautiful just absolutely beautiful yeah i i fully agree it's it's an incredibly beautiful game i Mechanically, like, gameplay-wise, I think it's one of the funnest that I've played in a really long time. It's its combat flows very, very well. I think everything about it um, is pretty well balanced. And I'm happy that we got, like, this as the second outing in, into the world of Kratos again. Yeah, yeah. It's very well put together in that aspect. I will admit, though, that just because, like... I'm not a fan of the particular style and control scheme. The combat, uh, it, it definitely feels like a lot of games these days, their combat feels very Soulsborne inspired. The newer Assassin's Creed games took that route too. Um, and uh, it's not particularly my favorite. I actually like the more hack and slashy style of the combat from the older games more, um, where it was like more more open and less like tight the combat and this is like more tight you know like over the shoulder type thing um but 
it is still satisfying. There's a lot of elements of it that are still really satisfying when you when you play it. Um, it's I, I I think just like the first game, the whole throwing the axe thing and calling it back, and some of the stuff you get to do with that in this one continues to be one of the most fun mechanics about the game overall. It's um, sometimes kind of funny in the middle of combat to watch somebody get coke locked in the jaw with a flying axe. <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, just their re- reactions. I've definitely used Axtos for comedy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Blades of Chaos, of course, make a return in this game, and they are phenomenal. Um, the way, like, it was a big spoiler that they were in the sec in the first game, but now everyone knows. So right, and you start this game with them, basically. So yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, in all honesty, I'm. Close to 48 hours into this game, maybe maybe 50 hours into this game, and I, I have beaten it at this point, and there were moments that I was very, very frustrated by, like, from combat itself, because, like, sometimes, I mean, I do have my gripes with the game, but, like, sometimes combat was a little too daunting in some areas, but then again, that could be my lack of assigning, like, my skills properly, because there is... A wildly different skill tree in this game I'll say like without diving too deep into mm-hmm. it because I know that's even like a mechanical spoiler so uh, it, it's it's a w- much wider skill tree like than the first game had and just the way things level up is a lot more involved so um, yeah no it's it's overall a really really fun experience you can do a lot of different builds and I'm excited to hopefully see what else Santa Monica Studios has to offer us in the realms of God of War, I would definitely be down for another one. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think the fact that you start with the Blades of Chaos in this game too, at least like, well, I mean, not like from the get-get-go, but like very soon after the start, it is kind of a game-changer in comparison to the first one, because the first one you basically only had the axe till about halfway through the game, and now you have both. You know, now you have both for the entire game, and that switches up things. It changes how combat plays. But I also feel like the uh, some of the enemies. Is it just me, or do the enemies feel a little bit harder in this game than they did in the first one? I think so, but I also feel like it. It's it's weighted on like I guess when you're playing too, because there, there are some times where I feel like there are moments in the game that are really intense that feel like they flow super super well. But then there are some calmer moments where I'm doing, like, a side quest. And some of the combats just, like, feel so much more intense than one of the, like, boss battles, if you want to call them that, that I've encountered. Oh, yeah, there were definitely boss battles in this. One thing I would say I appreciate is that they went with more variety, like, enemy variety in this one. Because I remember, like, one of the complaints about the 2018 game was that you basically fought the same troll with a big pillar as a weapon, like, seven or eight times in that game. And if I remember correctly, there's only one of them in this one. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's it's, it's uh, something that you don't really notice it till they point it out. But at the same time, it's like, wow, that it really is an improvement. Yeah. I, I think, oh, man, I, I cannot wait until we do branch into spoiler territory. I will say that because I will have so yes, much more to say. Yes. In, and I agree, uh, like back with your uh, top 10 of like your top 10 list of the year, like when you were trying to avoid like all spoilers, you said it it was hard to avoid. 
Yeah. So back in your top ten video, you're like, it's hard to talk about this game without spoiling it, so uh, go play it and don't get spoiled. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> and of... And then a, come talk to me. It's kind of a minefield. It, it, it really is because... And the reason for that is, and I can say this without actually spoiling anything by not saying things that are said, but... This is one of those games where characters will drop heavy spoilers and just like, or like jaw dropping lines of dialogue in the middle of you running around. You know, it's not in cutscenes. There are moments yeah, where you're just yeah. like. So many lines of like character dialogue that like just two, two of the voice actors bouncing back and forth while you're running around picking up like Hacksilver on the ground, for instance. Exactly, exactly. And not only that, but sometimes the gameplay itself, because everything in this world flows naturally between cutscenes and gameplay. So there are moments that sometimes even the characters in a cutscene are a spoiler, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's definitely hard to dance around, but like... Yeah, there will definitely be moments where you're riding on the sled or whatever, and a character will just, like, name drop someone huge or something, and you'll be like, wait, what? And have to do a double take, because it's, and, and it's, it's casual. They do it so casually and don't even draw attention to it, as if this thing has just been a part of their life all this time. Right. Yeah, they're just like, oh, yeah, this is uh, my casual buddy Steve. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Steve was a big deal in Norse mythology. You know. Yeah, you're like Steve is uh, the CEO of Apple. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we all remember the story of Steve in the Snake Pit. So yeah, that's that. That's part of the reason why. But it's also one of the things I really enjoy about the game. All of the dialogue just flows naturally to an extent. To an extent, there was. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with uh, Zero Punctuation, the the comedy review series by Yahtzee Croshaw, um, Ben Yahtzee Croshaw, and uh, over on the Escapist, and he did God of War Ragnarok. And one of the things he pointed out is that it the dialogue flows naturally until it's broken up by combat, and it's kind of funny because or other things. I do like that they do like in the first game where they're having a discussion, but then mm -hmm. you you like you get out of the boat or you go interact with something and it will interrupt it, but it doesn't just cut yeah. them. It doesn't just cut them short. Kratos will be like, "Hold on, we'll we'll continue this in a moment" or something like that. And then once you get back to traveling or whatever, the the characters will be like, "All right, so where were we? Oh yeah," and then continue as if nothing happened. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I I do love that. I love that a lot. Um, but it's funny in combat. He mentioned that sometimes they will be having like a super serious discussion about like, you know, uh, um, just, you know, father and son stuff or whatever. Um, and then they'll end up fighting some raiders or whatever. And then it'll immediately cut to like, well, that was something. So anyways, what do you want for breakfast? And then Kratos will just be like, ah, grumble, grumble, pancakes, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the, the, that happens a lot. It, it, um, but it's not immersion-breaking What's is what's funny about no. it. And not at all. It, it, it no, still everything works. does seem more like natural. It seems like they really got the grip of conversation between characters down, and it seems 
that everything that is said dialogue wise seems to have its purpose, even if it's just like a one off joke. Like there are so many lines that I can think of in this game that it's just like it's really just a one off. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this isn't a spoiler. I can bring this up. I noticed a little touch they added to this one that I really liked is that anytime there is a extra character around besides just besides Atreus, um, sometimes they will call attention to the fact that Kratos likes to go off the beaten path and look for loot or get chests yeah. and stuff. And sometimes they'll even like call, like once he gets the chest and stuff, they'll be, I've noticed that sometimes characters will be like, Kratos, where are you going? And he'll ignore them. And then he'll go open the chest and they'll be like, Oh, okay. I see what you're doing. <laughs> you know, or Atreus has to explain it. Like, Oh, my dad just likes to hunt for loot. It's almost like, yeah. they're, almost like they're breaking the fourth wall a little bit when they do that. Oh yeah, I think they know what they're doing, but they do it in such like a natural way that it doesn't feel forced, and it just feels funny. You know, it, it you know that they're calling attention to themselves, and it's just it, it's really funny because you you're you feel the same way because you're like, yeah, I have been picking up the loot. Thank you very much. And <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you brought up the skill tree um, because I feel like that and armor are both. Um very important in this game i feel like oh yeah i i oh, would yeah. i would go through a lot of sections because i was just trying to like enjoy the story um forgetting to upgrade my skills or unlock skills and i would have like bank of exp saved up that i needed to use and then i right. would i would use it and realize oh now i'm suddenly having an easier time <laughs> you know oh yeah the armor too i will say this much um i do think Hunting for Odin's Ravens in this game is a lot more worth it because the armor that you get for it is really good. It focuses mainly on health and vitality, but I feel like it makes you almost invincible during some of the harder fights later in the I was game. actually going to see if you were going to mention Odin's Ravens because I was going to say, like, by the time I finished this game, I had, I think I'm only missing, like, five Ravens at this point. Exactly. It's almost like they were easier to find or more frequently show up in your direct path of the story this time around. You don't have to go yeah. as out of your way for them, you know. Some of them were a difficult in like a difficult like little look see, but not to the point yeah. where it's annoying. I, I think I think it was still easy enough to find them to it wasn't like ridiculous. But yeah, I mean the armor set that you do get from them is I do think one of the better ones in the game. And I had a lot of fun, like, just finding the Ravens for that reason. And it's and, blue. The color scheme yeah, is yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I love the color scheme on, on, um, on that armor set. It's very well put together. And I will say, yeah, this is a game where um, if you focus exclusively on just doing the main narrative, you're going to miss out on a lot. This is one where every time a side quest pops up, that's not cumulative. Like one that just has like a like a side quest with story stuff, you're going to want to do it because Oh yeah, easily. Some of the this game's best character development, story moments and even lines of dialogue are in those side quests. Easily. Oh yeah, the, I I feel like all the side quests have purpose. Like I'm I'm post-game right now, and I'm doing some of the side quests here because I feel like actually doing them. Exactly. And, well, this is also a game that has a lot to offer in the post-game as well, which is something yes. we can talk more about 
in the spoiler section for sure. Um, oh yeah. So even though the ravens are less annoying, I will tell you what is still really annoying though is some of those goddamn chests that you have to open to upgrade your health. Oh uh, yes, the Nornir chests. Yes. Now <sighs> I'm probably maxed on my health and my rage. Oh, and really? I still do not have all the Nornir chests in the game, so now I'm curious as to what more of them will hold. Is it just... Oh, yeah, it is just health and rage in this one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but, yeah, those chests... I don't mind most of them. Like, the ones that have, like, the the pillars that you just throw your axe at and smash them and yeah or the the ones that you have to light on fire with your blades which they aren't too bad once you figure out how the the sigils work with the bow um some of those were a pain in the ass but the game isn't very straightforward about telling you that you can shoot sigils at each like you can make them bigger by shooting it more than once yeah Um, yeah and that was kind of the key to a lot of those. But the ones that are annoying, simply because I just wasn't fast enough a lot of the time, is the ones where you have to ring the three bells in quick succession. A lot of those were, like, you have to, like, throw the axe and then, like, as you're calling it back, quickly do a 180 and then, like, run over to the other side of, like, the platform you're on and throw it at another one. And I noticed some of the bells... Uh, the symbol comes back faster than others, so that kind of mm. like determines the order that you should hit them in as well. You know, yeah. And that got that was definitely frustrating. Those those stupid ass chests are <laughs> like ridiculous. But I, dude, even the puzzle solving in this game, I was having a fun time while doing it. Like, yes, I I don't know. Everything is just. I think everything in this game was designed so well. I do wish. That it did win a game of the year somewhere. It won uh, mine. <laughs> it won yeah, mine. I mean, yeah, that that is fair. That is fair. But I mean, like, I do wish it had more recognition because, like, yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Souls fan. I have an Elden Ring tattoo, but I also have a God of War tattoo. So it's like, I I respect both of these games very equally. I think they're they're both very very good. I think they should both be considered like titans in the industry of like this is how to build a game. Like, this is now your gold standard that you have to beat. They also, um, It also won the PlayStation blog game of the year as well. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, but because, Elden like, Ring Elden Ring ended close. up taking, like, the Steam Awards, too, and so that meant they had yep. Steam Awards, the Game Awards, and the Golden Joystick. And Yeah, yeah. That's a lot, but... I will say, uh, as a Souls fan, Elden Ring is very, very deserving. I think even Souls fans didn't realize what they were getting when we when we got that game. Um, but that say that being said, this, God this... of War ended like or ended up Ragnarok ended up in like my top ten of all time, and I think it's either. Right above, or it might have beat out God of War 2018 out of my top 10 of all time. Of all time, you say? Wow. Yeah, yeah that's actually, I think, one of the topics that I want to do um, in the future is, like, the best um, media of all time. And we're talking, like, movies, TV shows, video games. And I would love to have, like, you and someone else on for that one. Yeah, I need think. to find, like, Goated with the Sauce. 
Yeah, like I would like to do that with like you and Dylan or you and Ryan or somebody like that. You know, Ryan's already part oh, yeah. of a podcast though, so I don't think I don't think I'll be able to get him on too often. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's perfectly fine. But yes, um, yeah, and the puzzles, like you mentioned, the puzzles for God of War Ragnarok are pretty good. Um, I I did find myself getting stuck on a few story puzzles, but that was basically kind of like me over i have this tendency in a lot of video games especially horror games with puzzles to overthink things that tend to be really simple you know right and and then and then when i do see the solution to it i smack myself like oh wow i'm dumb (laughs) you know how did i miss that you know it's always something really really silly like i'm thinking i'm gonna have to like do like this intricate jumping through hoops nonsense and you know usually it's just like a button down the hall or some shit (laughs) so yeah exactly um something something so simple that you overlook and you're like ah i did it because i'm dumb (laughs) or i'm like i i run past the item i need like seven times i just don't see it oh yeah um oh yeah but yeah, so with God of War Ragnarok, that happened to me a lot during like the water trough puzzles. It, the very first one I had, I didn't realize what I had to do, and then once I figured out what I had to do, I everyone after that it became much easier to do. <laughs> but there were a couple that threw me for a loop in terms of sequence. Like I saw what I had to do, yeah. but the order in which I had to do it was the part that confused me. Yeah, exactly. You know. But okay, so uh, we'll wrap up the non-spoiler discussion part of this with our overall rating of the game. We'll go on a 10 scale, so on the 10 scale, the way I do it is 5 and below is bad, 6 above is good, so then it's just a determination of how bad or good. So what would you rate this Mm -hmm. game? Uh, I know it's pointless to add decimals because then you're basically making it a hundred scale. No, no, you like, you can in this set. You can I. But like nine eight to nine nine out of ten. Okay, I was gonna say you can do a point five. Don't 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 be like Game Informer. You can do like a nine point five <laughs> if you want. Because that's my rating. My rating is actually a nine point five. Yeah, I guess nine point five would be. The nearest round number, sure. Right, right, and that point five. Technically, technically ten would, but like I feel like it. Yeah, uh, it's a ten in so many ways. Yes, but like, but there are some. There are so yeah. many. There's very few minor instances that are only like a six, and then I'm like, ah. There's. If it wasn't for this specific thing, it would be higher. But like, yeah, it it, it was all done well. There are a couple of tiny little things that are keeping it from being a perfect game and those are things that we have to save for the spoiler uh yes. section so um so yeah i think okay so we both agree in 9.5 i've actually never heard people agree on the rating in a podcast before so that's that's pretty solid yeah i know i i want to rate it higher i want to rate it lower like i i just kind of i'm all over on it but the, I think if I had to go with an overall feel and the joy that I've had in playing this game, I would have to say, like, yeah, 9-5 out of 10. All right. All right. Well, okay, folks. So now we're going to transition into spoiler discussion for God of War Ragnarok. So this is your final warning. If you do not want this game to be spoiled for you, please leave now or use the timestamps to skip to the end of this podcast. 
All right. If you don't want to, yeah, if you don't want to hear how swole Kratos gets when he says the word boy, come on, <laughs> go back, go back now. Dude, you're making a joke, but still, at the same time, <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking of one particular scene now. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay, okay. All right. So, spoilers in three, two, one. Whoa, dude, spoiler alert. Everyone dies. All right, folks, here we are in the spoilers section. If you're still here, that means you want to hear it. So we're going to be getting into a real... You want to hear that yeah. hot goss, that juicy tea, the every nitty-gritty detail. We're going to be diving deep, talking about the story and some of the more expansive gameplay mechanics, the characters that you meet, the places you go, stuff like that. So, first things first... Um this game has a lot of stuff that happens just like within the first hour and a half to two hours of the game. Like it, it kicks off like one of those roller coasters that instead of doing a slow climb, just like rocket boosts you from the get go. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. So for me, it was personally like, um, you know, I wasn't surprised to see Freya show up pretty much right away, you know, after everything that happened yeah. in the first one. But what did... St- I mean, even in the trailer, it did it did show, like, you confronting Freya or, like, having a fight with her. Right. So, that was very... But what did oh. surprise me is what, even the is what comes next. This was, like... This was the reason that I personally voted Sonny uh, Soliuk as the best voice actor for the Game Awards this year. So... As you're riding after that fight with Freya, or maybe right before, and you're they're having their dialogue as you're riding on the dog sled, Atreus says something along the lines of, I hope Fenrir is doing okay. He just casually name drops Fenrir out of nowhere, and I had to do a double take, like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> you, are you, yeah. you're, you already have Fenrir? Where'd this come from? And then we get home and find out that he's dying. And it's got to be one of the saddest things I've ever seen in a video game. The acting in that scene oh. is phenomenal. I cried. I actually cried. I'm not going to lie. Oh, dude. It was it was really weighty. I was like, all right. I see it. You saw The Last of Us. We know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was rough. That was a rough scene to sit through. And that was like... um our mom was watching me play at that point, and she was like, wow, this game has a sad opening. <laughs> um, yeah. But I knew there was going to be something to, like, when when Fenrir dies and Atreus casts that spell, he doesn't even realize that he's doing it, but Kratos sees it. He sees a little white light fly away, and I, mm-hmm. I knew that was going to be something, but I didn't know what or how. They were going to go about it, and it confused me right. for a while. So there's a part later in the game where you meet Angraboda and Jotunheim when you're doing helping her do chores and stuff. She just casually mentions that there's a soul in your knife, and that's the knife. Yeah. that's the knife that Atreus got from his mom. So at first, I didn't put two and two together. I thought that maybe the soul of his mom was in that knife, and that's why she was like, I thought that maybe she might have been still alive out there somewhere, and that's why Kratos kept Mm. seeing her in his dreams. Like, I thought that she was sending him a message in real time, you know, or that maybe it was like... Nah, yeah, I think I sadly knew that 
she was dearly departed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the whole... It would ruin the whole point of the first game if she was still alive, but I thought that... Yeah, exactly. But just the way that she sends the messages to him in dreams, it feels... It feels very pointed. It's, it's like, very focused on what he's going through at the moment with his son. Um... Right. In the way that she's saying things. And I don't know if maybe he's just remembering conversations he had with her because that's how dreams work. You know, the things he's focused on are causing him to have these dreams. Or maybe if it was her soul communicating with him from like Valhalla or whatever. You know, right. I thought maybe that she was actually talking to him from the other side. So I don't think they were ever fully clear on that, on whether it was actually her or just an act or just a memory, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that was ever like clearly defined, but I did really like playing those dream sequences. It gave you a lot of like intake on to who Kratos really was. Yeah. And those were beautiful. It was nice to finally see Faye, too. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that was a really big thing in this game that was really nice to see. I, I like that in Norse mythology, giants is just like a race, but not necessarily a description. So some of the giants are, norm- right. are like normal human size, and some of them are actually giant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like the difference between Angraboda and her grandmother, which can we talk about that boss battle for a second? Because that's got to be like one of the bo- best boss battles in all of video gaming. <laughs> I, I think it was fun. I did enjoy that one. It was really fun to like climb around on countertops and feel like uh, Ratatouille. <laughs> it felt very toy, event kind of Toy Story, right? Yeah. Like there was almost like a Toy Story vibe to that. And like. I don't know if I feel bad for her grandmother or not, though. Like, I get where she's coming from, but she's also, like, not a good person. <laughs> yeah. You know? What she was doing to those poor wolves, I just, I can't. Oh, yeah, I can't no, I, de- uh, I definitely don't think that was justified. <laughs> so I think the fight was well-maintained. I think it was good. That was one of the, my favorite ones. I think the Nidhogg fight was, oh, that fight was really, really beautiful as well like even like the set pieces in involved in both of the fights that you were talking about like the set piece of being in like a giant's kitchen felt like really natural that like you're swinging on like meat hooks and everything that are there and yeah jumping around like the flooring and you're you're running past like giant bowls and pots and pans like it, it just felt really cool to be put in like a toy story like scenario um and they did it so well that the fight came across as, like, really, really fun. And it, it, it felt serious, but it also felt playful. Honestly, Jotunheim and the Ironwood is probably one of my favorite set pieces in the entire game. Like, from a visual perspective, and just the, like, the, the way it develops Atreus as a character, and, um... Some of the story stuff it brings to light, and then the fact that it's just, like, a nice little breather from all of, like, the combat and the stuff, you know, for a while. I've seen a lot of people say that they hated that part. They found it to be one of the most boring parts in the game. They're like, I'm just doing chores. I think it was lively. And I think it was lively in the right way. So, like, that's going to be my big thing. Like, yeah, when you're playing as Atreus, boom. Uh, (laughs) So, there, heavy spoiler again. Um, Yeah. When you're playing as Atreus... Oh, we're, in, we're in the spoiler section, yeah, I know. so go nuts. I know. But, yeah. like, when you're playing as Atreus, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like his 
playfulness is translated really well. And that's the type mm-hmm. of play that I'm looking for when I'm playing as him. Like, he is still young. He is still bright in the world. And he hasn't seen, like, the biggest amount of darkness that, like, people like Kratos and Odin and Tyr and and Thor and Sif and everybody has. Like, you're... He, he's new to the godhood world and he just thinks that he's so ready for this war because he thinks that since it's gods, you know... It'll just be a problem on the gods, and there won't be a problem for the nine realms and like all of the non-god population, all of the mortals that you know, like even for example, like the mid guardians that died in Ragnarok. It he hadn't seen all of that painful parts of war, so he thought it would just be settled among the gods themselves, and seeing that you know. Like, his playful scenario is carrying over. It's great to see in those sections, because then it makes the payoff of, like, seeing him post-Ragnarok and how serious he gets. And he says, like, I know that I don't want to do this on my own, but I have to. And saying that Mm -hmm. to Kratos, like, it was such a powerful moment, because he said, I don't want to do this on my own, but I have to. Know that I will always be here. And then Kratos' response, so perfect in that moment, was Loki will go and Atreides will remain here. And I'm just like, oh. Yeah. Oh. So, oh, and you, so you have to You have to specify, though. When he says that, when he says Atreides will remain here, he puts his hand over his heart. Oh, yeah. It just, oh, such a beautiful, beautiful moment. And, and for it to come at, like, such a large climax in this story... And, like, the way that they settled out of Ragnarok, the way that they did everything to get to that point, the whole adventure seems so lively and so real. Like, the pacing of the story is just so clean and natural that it doesn't really seem like there's a dry moment unless you do sometimes what I did. And then you'll go, like, oh, I'll go do every side quest that I can. Sometimes that gets you sick of traversal. So you're just tired of, like, I'm tired of being in this dog sled or I'm tired of riding in this boat. But um, that's, you know, that's really attributed to your play style, too. Because if you choose to do the story first and then do all the side quest stuff later, cool. But do be or do keep in mind that that really, really matter for you to do. And certain side quests that are not available that become locked out if you pass certain parts in the story. To an extent, yeah, but that stuff will become available again later in the post game. Um, there's nothing that's really necessarily mm-hmm. missable in this, thankfully, but there are like certain points of no return in the main narrative where you have to finish the current story quest before you can do anything else. Um and yeah, that that moment you talked about where he says uh, Loki will go, but Atreus will remain is like in complete contrast to one of my favorite scenes earlier in the game where they're all sitting around having dinner and Tyr is, you know, uh, as Odin and we'll get into that <laughs> too, but um, he's kind of like stirring stuff up by bringing up the Loki stuff and trying to get Atreus to follow that path. And it causes discontent between him and Kratos. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where Kratos gets annoyed and he says, you are Atreus, my son, and nothing more. And it's like a, a complete 
complete switch around because I think one of the best defining moments for Kratos in the game, although it does feel a little rushed in the climax because it's in the climax and we'll, you know, talk about that too, but it's the moment where he realizes that he's been wrong this whole time and he admits that. He tells Atreus, I was wrong for trying to make you like me. I should have been letting you embrace who you are, you know? He said he was wrong for telling him to, like, emotionally close himself off and stuff like that. It's, um... Yeah, exactly. And that, that to me, is, like, one of the best moments in the whole game. I was wrong. Open your heart to it. Yes, exactly, because that's what differentiates him. I think he realizes, Mm -hmm. too, because there are moments, and, you know, not everyone's going to hear all this dialogue, because sometimes it's random when you're traveling, but I do remember a piece of of dialogue I got while being in the boat was that Kratos kind of tells the story of how brutal Spartan training was for him as a kid, and then Mm -hmm. Atreus kind of, like, says, I'm glad you didn't make me go through that, and uh, Kratos says, I didn't think you should have to, you know? Yeah, I got that same piece of dialogue, actually, uh, just a little bit ago. Yeah, that was um, a very well done. I I loved Freya and Kratos talking, because Freya and Kratos were speaking about, like, Deimos at one point. His brother Deimos, yeah. Yeah, oh my god. And then, like, his whole redemption arc with her and, like, talking to her about his first wife and his first child... Uh, like, mentioning Calliope by name was such an interesting and, like, intimate callback Mm -hmm. that, like, it was showing the route that they wanted to go and the way that they were making Kratos grow as a character. He became not this brutal warmonger who brought down Olympus and is a a god-killing monster. He's... He's rejuvenated. He's new. He's learning because his godhood was never quite the same and now oh man and everything with the end of the game and this like his his growth throughout the game came so well and everything that was patterned in front of us seemed so well put together that by the end of the game when you turn around to the opposite side of the predictive painting and it shows a golden statue of kratos with a big beard yeah. And it's like he he sees a path that he never thought that he could take, one where he was a god that can be worshipped. Yeah. And that was so changing in that moment. I'm like, that is so beautiful and amazing. Yeah. And it was and it's not even in like dialogue by the game that you find that out you just find it out by looking at the back of the painting yep it's a completely visual scene with no dialogue and Mm -hmm. sometimes those can be some of the most impactful there's been a lot of games i've played where the game itself has no dialogue at all like journey you may remember and it's still one of the most impactful games i've ever played because the whole story is told through the visuals um exactly and yeah it was just great and i agree playing as atreus for me personally was actually the most fun part of the game i I may i I probably sounded a little harsh on the combat in the um in the non-spoiler section but that's because i couldn't talk about this yet atreus for me com has like a better combat for me like the way it Mm -hmm. plays the way it flows it's more fast it's more fluid it's more fun he's not as strong but he's a little more tactical and it just it feels 
a little more like open and free like you have breathing room like the older mm-hmm. older god of war games whereas when you're playing with kratos it just it feels a little more claustrophobic if that makes any sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know because everything's so tight it's like that resident evil over the shoulder camera um and atreus still kind of has that but since he's a smaller character it doesn't feel as tight you know yeah, I definitely had a lot more time does Kratos where I felt like the enemies were more overwhelming, like I was getting larger amounts or they yeah. were like bigger enemies. Yes, exactly. of that is to balance the game out, but like I I do agree with you that playing as Atreus was actually a fun relief sometimes because it was nice to not feel so clunky. <laughs> yeah, I also feel like Atreus had a more interesting cast of companions for that reason, too. Like, mm-hmm. Sindri's one of his companions, and he just kind of stands back and throws bombs and stuff. And um, Throod is one of your companions, and she's more melee-focused, and Thor, too. You know, having Thor... Mm-hmm. Thor is one of your companions through when playing as Atreus. Definitely came in handy, even if he was an asshole, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, terrible. But he's <laughs> he's so cocky. I noticed that out of the other characters that travel with you, he's the one that intentionally does the least amount of effort in combat. Sometimes he will literally just stand mm-hmm. around and watch, and that's intentional, you know, because mm-hmm. it's part of his character. But when he does swing his weapon, he basically takes out like seven enemies at once. So, oh yeah, and it was so funny because I got like a dialogue option with him when we were playing that he said. Uh, it, it was another combat, and he's like, oh, you gotta like that I'm trying this time, huh? Exactly. And, and it's like, he's putting, you can see that he's putting a little bit more effort into the combat, and I think it's when you go with him to or, to Helheim that he says that. He's like, you can tell I'm helping out more this time. And that's actually, when it comes to character development in this game, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, because... Oh, sorry, no, it's when you go to Niflheim. My bad. Yeah. It is, it's Niflheim, because in Helheim, he doesn't no, help you that much. No, uh, Musfelheim, right? It's the one that's, um... Is that right? Yeah, because yeah, because you trick him into going to do the, the trials. Um, yeah, Musfelheim. Yeah. yeah, you tell him to go do the trials, and yep. he does them. Yeah, so that you can go look at that painting. Yeah, so... Right, and then and then later in Niflheim, I think it is when you're traveling together. No, you're, it's you're there with Heimdall. It's Helheim. Helheim. And you go to yeah. Helheim with Thrud because that's where Garm is. And um, remember, Odin has to put the um, the spell on you to make you go there safely because otherwise you'll yeah. you'll freeze. Because Helheim is cold, not hot. Norse hell is cold. Yes, but that's when that's when Heimdall is with you. Uh, yes, yes, he's with both of you. Um, yeah. It, and, yeah, um, Niflheim is where the ravens are, mm-hmm. is where the raven tree is, so, um, but yeah. Yes, but you do go there as Atreus. Yes, you can, yeah. Um, but that has, yeah, playing as Atreus in general definitely had some of my favorite parts of the game, and I like how, so since this game still follows the single shot camera work and you're either seeing things from mm-hmm. the perspective of Kratos or Atreus, um, right. you still get character development for the other characters, but you get it from their perspective. So I think one of the characters that gets some of the greatest development in the game overall is actually Thor himself, who, first of all, uh, Ryan Hurst does a great job playing him. Um, Sons of Anarchy fame, for those who don't know, but... Uh, and The Walking Dead. Was he in The Walking Oh, yeah. Well, he's a uh, beta, isn't he? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. When they bring the whisperers into that show. Okay. Yeah. So he does a great. Yeah. That's job. a. That's a. That's a pretty important part. Yes. So he does a great job of uh, playing Thor in this, but. I I want to focus specifically on the relationship with him and his daughter and him and his father and his relationship with alcohol and how he's trying to change that. Because I think one of the best scenes in the whole game is like after the bar fight scene, the bar fight scene on Asgard when Throod is confronting him about his drinking problems <laughs> and like how that changes him as a character. And then later in the game, how he does a 180 and actually helps you in the end. You know, he gets like a little bit yeah. of a, a little bit of a redemption arc. And I thought that that was pretty cool the way they handled that. Um, it actually makes me like Throod a lot as a character. She might actually be one of my favorite characters in the whole game. She's just really cool. Personality wise, did you have a favorite companion out of all the ones that join you? I think there was uh, Brock, Sindri, Freya, Throod, uh, Thor. Um, to me? And Angerboda. Honestly, I... I think it's Freya because I I really enjoyed watching the growth of Kratos through the game. I thought it was yeah. such a beautiful thing to witness. Um, so I I think I think definitely Freya. I feel like there was a lot of talking points and growth points that you get as um, as Kratos because of Freya herself, and it just feels very like well drawn out, and things just feel nice and rounded like their conversations feel natural like they're both talking about like their regrets that they've had yeah and the way that it flows naturally from i'm trying to kill you because you killed my son to us being good friends again and the way that you get to see that happen in real time over time is very well done because when you're first traveling with her and she agrees to work with you, she's still very defensive about anything you have to say and still pretty much wants to kill you. She's just holding off mm -hmm. for now. But as time goes on and her and Kratos start talking more and learning more about each other, they start to sympathize with each other and it kind of like brings them into being friends again. And um, right. I just, I think the way that that is handled is also a very well done character development. She, I don't think... She she would be one of my favorite companions from a story perspective, but from a combat perspective, I think I really, I think Throod might have been one of my favorites. Um, I also did really enjoy the Angerboda scenes. Like, I know yeah. there was very limited combat, but, like, with the combat that you had in those scenes, I think it was highly, highly enjoyable. It was funny because it seems like the game kind of subtly created a love triangle between um Loki, Angerboda and Throod. And I know that in actual Norse mythology, um Loki and Angerboda are the ones who end up together. But do you think mm -hmm. in the future they I mean they definitely it looks like they pushed more towards her, but it definitely felt like they were doing like a Final Fantasy 7 thing where Cloud kind of flirts with Tifa and Aerith, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, which one is he going to pick, you know? Um Nah, I think I'll ultimately Skilder likes third and Yes, yeah. I think that's what they were pointing towards too, was for yeah. for was for that. But did it not seem like Throod and uh Atreus were flirting a little bit for a while there? Yeah, it did seem kinda like flirty, like back and forth banter. It, it I can agree with that. It definitely did, but I do think I I think that their relationship is 
I think they're one of those, um, they've built one of those friendships where they're close to so, f- to people mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, it might look like they're a couple, but they're really just, right. they're really just really good platonic friends. Like they're just close. Exactly. So, um, I definitely see the anger, them going the anger boda route because that would be in line with Norse mythology. And they ended up being the parents of Fenrir and Jormungandr, if I remember correctly, in actual mythology. Um, yeah. So, so the way that they tie that in too is really well because she was there when he put the giant soul in that snake who grows into Jormungandr. So, and now she's taking care of Fenrir, right? And now she's taking care of Fenrir. So that's two of the cool things. So I guess they, you know, since this is a video game that a lot of people are going to play, they didn't want to go the, you know, Loki has sex with wolves route. <laughs> you know, they uh, yeah. <laughs> So they decided to do it differently, but I think the way that they create Jormungandr and then tie it into the first game is actually really cool in this. Mm -hmm. Because you meet this dying snake in Jotunheim, and this is after um, Angraboda gives Loki this bag of of marbles that hold the souls of giants. You know, this is where you get the Mm -hmm. big reveal that the giants aren't dead, they're just hiding. You know, yeah, exactly. And that was like really cool. And he doesn't want this responsibility at first, but he does take it eventually, which leads into his line at the very end of the game that you mentioned earlier um, in the journey that he goes on from there. So he takes the soul and he uh, one of the giant souls and puts it in the snake and then the snake grows into Jormungandr because Anger Buddha tells him about it uh later when Ragnarok's happening and you're involved in it. She shows up. With Fenrir and Jormungandr's in the background fighting Thor, and something happens, and uh, Jormungandr disappears, and that's the point where Thor sends him back in time, and he appears in the first game. So, I thought that was really cool, and also kind of in line with what actually happens in Ragnarok and Norse mythology as well. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, I do think the payoff of that was dope. But- um and then, like, even doing, like, later side quests after the main story, like, so many things were yes so fun to do. Like, I, going back and saving uh, Bergir, um, like, after he falls off the ship, uh, supposedly sacrificing himself. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can even complete his story even further if you meet up with him again. And if you go back to Charlie with Freya, like Charlie, your her turtle home from the first game that you and Atreus met her at, or like went to her with, uh, eventually you can get Bergir to move there. And she says like, she wants somebody to take care of Charlie now that she's a roaming veneer goddess, you know? That's actually... Now that she's the queen. That's actually pretty cool. There's actually a a lot of stuff that happens in the post-game that, like, ties up loose ends from the story. But before -hmm. before we get there, um, a few other things that are important to note. So, obviously, there is this whole big thing in this game. We're leading up to Ragnarok, and there's obviously conflict between all the main characters about who does and doesn't want to go to war and one of the big twists in the game is like one of the big things is that you find Tyr you know the Norse god of war and um he's this big pacifist now all of a sudden and then later it turns out that he's actually been Odin in disguise the whole time now that was something I definitely did not see coming and it caught me off guard but if you go back and look at 
other scenes from the game retroactively with this new context in mind, you will actually notice that they foreshadow that a lot. And there are even moments where Odin himself, when talking to Atreus in Asgard, completely slips up and kind of reveals that he knows things that he shouldn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really think about it at first. I thought maybe, oh, well, he's just Odin. He can see everything or whatever. But it's it's a little more nuanced than that. They intentionally have little hints here and there. There are even some things that Tyr says... Like, if you follow him around the house when he's mumbling to himself, there are a few things he says that are technically foreshadowing to him being Odin as well. But there are there are moments. There are... Uh, I do specifically remember, like, one thing uh, Odin says to Atreus on Asgard, and I kind of raised an eyebrow, like, you've been spying on me? <laughs> like, how mm. would you know that? You know, so... And I'm like, oh, he's got his ravens and shit. He probably is spying. But do you I, remember the do you remember the line? Um, it something he says something along the lines of um. He says something along the lines of Kratos isn't exactly getting an unbiased perspective on him because he's being told a bunch of bad things about him by one of his disgruntled former employees and ex-wife. And I didn't realize it at the time, mm. but there's no way he could have possibly known that if he wasn't there with them. <laughs> you know, right. Because, remember, they're at Sindri's house in the World Tree, which is an area that he can't actually see. So, yeah. So, that's the part I didn't put two and two together at first. So, that's one of the foreshadowing moments that they drop where most people would just write it off as him being a god, knowing everything. But, in reality, that's something he shouldn't have known. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the side quests earlier, too. Because, like I said, some of the best dialogue and stuff in these games uh, and some of the best character moments comes from these side quests. And... I would say um, some of the most important ones are freeing the giant sea creature, helping Mimir with that, um, and, Mm -hmm. like, restoring the dwarves, like, destroying those machines for them um, to help, like, clear the pollution out of their area. Um, Helping Mimir get closure on his his ex-girlfriend or whatever, like, doing that whole thing. Um, And... Uh, Who was Sigrid? Yeah, yeah, Sigrid, and yeah, one of the Valkyries. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you do all that stuff, it actually unlocks extra dialogue uh, in at the end of the game when you do the um, when you're walking around and talking to everybody, um, going up the yeah. hill. So, uh, and then there's the one where you get Freya's other sword, um, and that I thought was super important because you get a lot of character development on her during that particular quest. Mm-hmm. And her other sword is like Ooh, way better. Speaking of swords, what did you think when you found out that Ingrid was Freyr's the whole time? So I actually knew that because of Norse mythology. That's how I also yeah. knew. That's how I also knew it was likely that he was going to die during Ragnarok when he did. Yeah. Because the way that he dies in the game, granted, it's that part confused me a little bit. I had to go back and rewatch the cutscene later because every, the. The way everything happens right there is, like, this is my my problem with the climax of the game. A lot of that shit is rushed. So his death felt very random and undeserved, even though I know that it's part of Norse mythology. But basically, yeah, Freyr dies fighting Surtur, which is part of the actual lore. Yeah. Um... So, and it's our fault in the first place. Like, we start Ragnarok by by creating him, you know, um, 
but then turn right around and realize that we doomed a bunch of people in doing so, and now we have to take him down, because <laughs> this wasn't the right way to go about it. Um, although I understand why they do that from a character development perspective for Kratos, and because they wanted you know this really cool set piece where a giant is destroying Asgard. At the same time, it almost almost feels like all that time we spent in Helheim convincing this guy to start help us start Ragnarok was a waste of time. Yeah. You know, it it does feel like some of the decision it wouldn't be so bad if 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 it was paced out a little bit better at the end, but the climax of the game is so rushed that it feels like you spend all this time doing one thing just to turn around and immediately undo it. <laughs> and it's almost insulting. <laughs> but yeah, I did have a lot of, like, I, I did think the climax was a little bit rushed in the story, but I had already put, like, so much time into it. Yeah, I was ready is, to like, get to the end by I, that I point. I feel like the climax could be as rushed as you want to make the climax rush, too. Because, like, for me, I guess, there were a lot of times where I was just doing side quests between every mission I did. You know, every story mission I did, I'd go do the side quests and fill out like the talk that you can have with Mimir and Atreus or yeah. Mimir and Freya and like all the different companions that you can have just doing side quests when you're playing in those areas it felt a little bit more needed because it felt like you could get so much more character explanation uh through side quests than you were getting through the main story so it felt it felt really fleshed out and I felt like I knew the characters well enough by the point that I finished the game, that it felt a little less rushed than I thought it would. Yeah, it's not that the character development is rushed or anything. Um, it, I will say that the moment that Kratos has, uh, it's what I call his Batman moment, where he says that we should be fighting for justice, not vengeance. Um, mm -hmm. That that did feel a little bit like it came out of nowhere, and it took him seeing the consequences of his actions for that to really hit home. I think what happened there, and because I've played the originals, is that he realized that he was about to do the same thing to this pantheon that he did to his old one. He was about to get a bunch of innocent people killed for the sake of vengeance. And mm -hmm. um, he, like Sindri, was driven by Odin killing Brock, at that moment, and I think it brought back some of the old Kratos from the old games, you know? Yeah. And then, but once he sees what's happening to all those innocent people um, outside the walls of Asgard in the midst of this, that's when he kind of has that moment, and I just, it's a well-done moment, I just feel that it, I wish it was a little more f focused. It, it happens... It happens in such a, a fast-paced way. It's um, mm -hmm. it the, the, that particular moment needed a little more time to breathe. I think is all, but it's not it's not bad. Obviously, um, I do see some people saying that they probably could have um, stretched them some things out a little more if they decided to make this game God of War Thimblewinter and the third game God of War Ragnarok. You know. And have yeah, I think that could have been a little cooler, but like I also, they would have also had to do a lot more in the third game if they made it Ragnarok too. Yeah, really give you post Ragnarok. So I feel like that was a harder build up. Like I, I feel like it's harder to build a post Ragnarok world than it is to build the uh, post death of a single god in Thimblewinter that's leading to Ragnarok world. Yeah, so that's I felt true. like. 
I feel like this one, I, I honestly think they can make another game, and I think they probably will. It's a great series, and I feel like they have more stories to tell in this series. Um, but ultimately, I think I, I think what we had in this game was pretty well-paced, and it had a lot of good moments that I thought were... Um, like just kind of when I wanted to have them, you know, and then everything felt a little bit more comfortable, but I do understand with like the rush climax part of it, it just seemed a little too fast for like the message that they were doing, especially with everything that you had been spending time to build up. I just wish the climax was a little bit longer. Maybe, maybe yeah. the, the whole, like the whole Ragnarok part. Even itself. like a good 30 minutes, I think would be. Yeah. You know. Like everything enough. everything from Kratos' epic pre war speech all the way down to when um you finally kill Odin. I if that mm-hmm. if that was maybe just like fifteen or twenty minutes longer, I think they could have really stretched out some of the cool things. Like I know that they try to keep the focus on the single shot camera so they weren't gonna be able to do this, but if this was a different game, they would have had cutscenes cutting over to the fight between like Thor and Jormungandr and shit like that. In a way though, right. I'm, I'm glad that they didn't though, because you're getting this from your character's perspective, so it's you get to, just even getting to see that in the background is still really cool and maybe arguably a better way to do it. I just um and I know, like, you know, it's it's a big war, and wars can happen fast. Like, you know, people are dying left and right. I I just think that there are some bigger moments from the mythology that happened during Ragnarok that they could have implemented in here that they either skipped entirely or just kind of, like... Like, glossed over. Glossed over, or they haphazard. Like, the, you know, the death of Freyr, that maybe could have been mm-hmm. handled a little bit better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it happened so fast that I actually... I mean, I think to a point, like, even the death of Thor, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that, see, that that was the culmination of the character development, because he stood up mm-hmm. to his father finally, and granted his father killed him for it, but he stood up to him, and that's what matters. Like, that was that was Thor's redemption right. arc. Um, no, that, that I, I didn't see it coming either. And to an extent, I kind of did, but like... Um, so it was one of those moments where when it happened, I was a little shocked, but also not surprised at the same time, if that makes any sense. Yeah. In that moment, I kind of knew it was going to happen because I felt like that was the nail in the coffin for him in Thrude's eyes, you know? So like even Thrude at that point knew like, okay, Odin is a fucked up piece of shit. (laughs) And I'm I'm glad that um, Lady Sif also kind of changes over to the good side too after noticing all that. Um, Mm -hmm. I just the way that she treats Atreus from the get go made me very worried that she was going to be a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. But nope, she turned out to be okay. Heimdall, on the other hand, is an absolute dickhead, and I was very happy to have killed him. (laughs) But it it did it, it did make me think that like what I've noticed is that. You know, Kratos jumps to a new reality trying to avoid the mistakes of his past, but he still ends up having to kill other gods, no matter what. Right. You kill Magni and Modi and Baldur in the first game, and in this one you kill Heimdall. Um, mm-hmm. But what, I, what I'm what i glad for is that it doesn't seem to have as much of an impact on society as a whole. Because in the old games, killing the gods affected things. Killing Poseidon affected the oceans. Killing Helios affected the sun. Killing Hades right. a- affected the underworld. 
none of that happens here. You know, killing the gods here, they're mm-hmm. just like regular ass people with superpowers, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I do like that. Uh, and Kratos, even though he tries to drive it home to Atreus in the first game that there are consequences to killing a god, eh, there doesn't really seem to be many, you know? The, the worst consequence they had was that Freya started hunting them down, you know? But the death of Heimdall, if anything, made their lives easier because he was a huge pain in the ass. And probably probably one of the hardest fights in the game. I actually thought fighting Odin was easier than fighting him. I will say, like, this this whole game, I I think one of the biggest things and the things that drives the story so much is, like, the voice acting cast of this game. Yes. Is so well-rounded and so good, like... Even even minor side characters, like Lunda, for example, mm-hmm. she's played by the uh, AT&T girl. Yes, doing a very weird southern accent. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, Deborah Ann Wool plays Laufey. Yeah. And then you have people like Brett Dalton, who plays Freyr, Scott Porter as Heimdall, <clears throat> Ben Pender, uh, Prendergast as Tyr. Um... What I loved hearing, actually... I did like Richard Schiff's Odin yes, and yes. Ryan Hurst's Thor. Yes. But hearing Emily Rose come in as Sif. Yes, that's um Elena from oh. Uncharted. Yeah, exactly. I was mm-hmm. so happy hearing her that I was like, oh man, that is like a perfect mother figure like Norse Sif for me. Uh, like that that made oh everything was so much better. Another fun voice actor fact, uh the talking squirrel at the world tree, he is played by Pro Z D, the guy whose audio clip I played earlier in this episode. Um mm-hmm. he the he's YouTuber known for funny like clips and like skits about different things and he does a lot of voices, so he's actually been getting voice work in a lot of video games, anime, and cartoons. Um, You're talking about maybe. uh Tosker? Yeah, yep. Awesome. Yep. Because Ratatoskr is different and like different uh emotion squirrels, like the different ones that he has out are actually different voice actors too. Are I they? I thought they were is, all um, him. I don't know. I, I think maybe they are, but one of them sounds because a lot like Troy Baker. He can change his voice around a lot like that. Um so Yeah, Troy Baker plays the bitter squirrel. Oh, does he? Okay. I didn't know that. Okay, so yeah, um, because there's the bitter squirrel, the anxious squirrel. I didn't get any others than that. I didn't do a lot of that stuff, but um, those were the two that I met a lot. Um, I'm still trying to find the linworms in the post game. Um, like I said, the cumulative stuff I saved a lot of that for the post game, but the um the story related side quests I did a lot of that. You know, before finishing the main narrative, I also did that one yeah. where you um. You go around and destroy all those raider camps when you're in the sandy area because you're... Oh, yeah. Yeah, your wolves don't like them. Um, and they've been, like, capturing wolves and treating them badly and stuff. Yeah, that's when you're back in Mid- uh, Midgar. Yep, yep. And Midgar is all frozen over now. Um, like, mm-hmm. that was one of the cool... As- I-, I liked seeing the same area that we spent most of our time in in the first game again, but now it's all a big frozen lake. 
Um, right, and especially in like a completely different, it's just a completely different setting. Like, and yeah, it, it's really cool to see how different Fimble Winter affected different continents. Exactly, because like the area feels familiar but different. Like, it, you can tell it's the same area from the first game, but enough has changed to make it f- feel exciting to go through again. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I loved a lot of that. So, uh, I, there are two, like, really big spoiler things I definitely have to dive into here. But before that, I wanted to ask, did you ever get the dialogue that was a reference to PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale? Yes, I did, actually, very recently. That was great. I love that. I love when they brought that up. And I knew that that's what they were talking about because, you know, it, it could have been Mortal Kombat because he was in one of those um, but what sold it for me was when one of the characters Mamir mentions is the world's greatest musician, and that was obviously Parappa the Rapper, so I knew that that was, they were talking about that, because he says something like, like, uh, thieves and automatons and stuff like that, and I'm like, hey, he's talking about Sly Cooper and Big Daddy and Parappa the Rapper, like, that's PlayStation All-Stars, especially because... That game was developed by Santa Monica, as this one is, and Kratos seems to show some kind of shame towards participating in it. You know, he's like, I do not wish to Mm. talk about that. So it's like them kind of poking fun at themselves, you know. Um, It kind of reminds me of, uh, I love when developers do that, reminds me of, you may remember, when Uncharted 4 was first shown off at an E3 stage demo, they had a bit of a glitch with the controller, and they kind of like stood there for like the first 30 seconds and didn't move. And so when you actually play Uncharted 4 in that same spot in the game, if you just stand there and do nothing for 30 seconds, you get a trophy in reference yeah. to that moment, you know? Yeah, that was so cool. Um, But yeah, so stuff like that, I, I thought, you know, you get the little dialogue pieces in there and all that. And I want to say, like, when you're doing the post game, one of the best, like, payoffs to the character development is seeing Throod pick up her father's hammer and fly off with it. Like Yeah, I, I actually just did that in Vanheim. Oh, you just saw that? Or Alfheim, sorry. Yeah, so that that's really cool, getting to see that. Um, and just, like, there's a lot of extra dialogue that comes in the post-game that, like, conversations Kratos has with other characters that it's like, this is one of those games that, like, when you finish it, you're not done. You know, there's, there's, there's more. The world is alive. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, and it's not like a live service game that they're constantly updating to put new content in, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla or something, but it's just that the game is coded to flow naturally that way, um, which I think is really cool. So on that topic of, of you know, Tyr being Owen and that big plot twist and all, I I think I was more shocked by, like, the death of Brock and the fact that, like, oh. the game is not nice about it because it, it comes after this big reveal that Brock's actually died before and Sindri put him back together, but he didn't get all of him. Some of his soul was still missing. And it what really drove it home for me was when Mimir tells Atreus at one point that Brock doesn't get an afterlife because he's missing his soul. He's just gone. He's just dead. And that was, like, really hard for me to hear. And it makes me feel even worse for Sindri because you know that part of the reason Sindri's so pissed about this and the way he's gone through this change is because he feels guilty. He knows that part of that is his fault, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and from like yeah. never telling Brock for the longest time, and for his passing to be just like so right there, it changes Sindri to his core. Because like, let's be real, 
Sure, we fight Odin, and we capture Odin in his library, but isn't it kind of more like Sindri who kills him? It is Sindri who <laughs> kills him when you think about it. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, they wanted to be better. They were like, oh, we'll just keep his soul trapped in this marble forever. Fate worse than, worse than death. He'll learn his lesson. And Sindri's like, nah, fuck that motherfucker. <laughs> Done. Yeah, he said, that is what happens next. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the best mic drop lines, too, but it just sucks that it comes from such a place of hurt. And at least he showed up for Brock's funeral. That That's what's important. Yes, um, yes. Uh, doing that quest after the postgame was so, so beautiful. Uh, actually, I got... Freya mentioned it. Uh, so, like, when you told yeah, me yeah, to go yeah. to the nearest blacksmith, Freya mentioned it before I went to a blacksmith. But she you said, have, hey... You have to go to the blacksmith heard... to initiate it. Yeah, but she said, "Hey, I heard they're having a funeral in Van or in uh, Svartalfheim it for Brock." And I got that line, and I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." And then I went to the blacksmith, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, we're having a funeral. You're invited. It's here." And that's when you and actually like, get the quest oh. marker for it. Yeah, then you yeah, can yep, that's when you get the quest marker for it. And then you go, and you know the guy, uh, the one dwarf who um, who plays. Durland? the the one the the musician that's there he plays oh rave yeah yeah so that's actually the so that guy is, actual composer yeah it's the composer it's beer mccurry yeah yeah and the, he's actually playing that instrument for real the the instrument he's playing in the game he's actually playing in real life yep the hurdy gurdy yeah the hurdy gurdy that's what it's called yeah so that was a beautiful scene the whole funeral scene was just like so bittersweet and like Sindri's gone now Brock's gone Sindri's disappeared so Lunda's the blacksmith now so I can see why they brought her in um it hits different though like I noticed in the post game upgrading your equipment and stuff it just hits different when Brock and Sindri aren't there anymore <laughs> you know? yeah I know I went back and played God of War 2018 just to go to a blacksmith and be like oh Oh, the safety of them it's not crazy. being corrupted yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why it's good to have like different save files because this is one of those games where like yeah you can keep playing it after the post game, but some of the major story changes are going to change the environment with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. some things will never be the same as they were when you first started. Like there's permanent changes, right? And you can feel it. Like you just feel the lingering everything from that, and that was. That was just so well done and so amazing. And that whole scene where Brock goes with you to get your new weapon, which we I definitely have to mention as well. But like where the mermaid ah, the, spear. <laughs> the mermaid basically pays no attention to him whatsoever. And you find out that's the whole reason Sindri didn't want him to go there in the first place, is because he knew how it works. She doesn't communicate with anyone who doesn't have a soul, you know. Right. And Brock was missing the essential part of the soul needed to communicate with her. Oh, it's so yeah, that was that was crazy. But after that, you get the spear, and that to me is like where the combat, when playing as Kratos, really opened up into the best it could possibly be in the whole game. It just sucks that you get it for such a short period of time before the end, you know. But like mm -hmm. that spear, man. So you got ice with the axe, you got fire with the blades, and you got wind with the spear. And the spear is just not only is it um like one of the best weapons for heavy attacks because the way he swings the spear when you do the heavy attacks. Oh yeah. And they're so Arthur. quick. Yeah. It's a quick heavy attack. Yeah. I would argue the heavy attacks for the spear are better because the light attack is just a forward jab, you know, and then you can throw it and you can like stick like seven of them in enemies and then explode them all at once. It's, 
and the runic attack where you throw it up in the air and then like a hundred spears rain down on your enemies. It's all just oh yeah, so, easily so the cool. best one. Yeah, and that came in really handy in a lot of the like boss battles late in the game. So, and then just being able to switch between all three weapons on the fly to keep your enemies on their toes is very well done. I think um, that spear has got to be one of the coolest weapons that you get across any of the God of War games in the entire franchise. Honestly. Oh yeah, I think it's definitely really cool. I love the skills. I still use the. Uh... I, I still use the blades and the axe a lot. I think I still use the axe most preferentially. Um, but yes, the spear made combat so cool. <laughs> and and it, it feels it'll... like a return to form for Kratos because he was a Spartan warrior. And what was their weapon right. of choice? You know, the spear. I also love. I also love the parallel that you get with the fact that Odin also wields a spear. So like you kind yeah. of get to match him on that and say like, like ha ha ha, motherfucker, me too. <laughs> Because that was kind of beautiful to see, just like Kratos with a spear. I, I used it a lot in the Odin fight because of like how the uh, how the whole fight panned out. There were times where he was like so far away from me. I'm like, ah, uh-uh, you don't get away that easy. And then I just used the spear. Yeah, that that stuff was amazing. Yeah, everything about this game just just really amazing. Especially the acting. I cried so many times. I cried when Fenrir died. I cried during the scene where. Freya breaks the curse on her and then she just like has like a breakdown now that she's finally free and she forgives Kratos. Yeah. And getting the sword in that moment too for her like having yeah. an additional weapon for her bond being broken with Odin like it it just uh, all of the character development in this game. Yeah. Felt so well done that I felt attached to literally every character and it it was very refreshing and very cool to be able to sit down and play something that I had like such a strong investment in instead of like mindlessly playing a Call of Duty game. <laughs> right. And Mimir too, like when you're like trying to free that sea creature and he's like distraught yes. that oh the creature gosh. he that it won't swim away because it's been so used to being, you know, captive. And he's like, No, yeah, and he ties, no. He ties wanted... back to when you're hunting yeah. with Atreus. Yeah. And he he says, you know, like these are your consequences and mm-hmm. like it it is what it is you know yeah he and said, sometimes we just have consequences that we have to live with and it's like oh yeah man. and mamir's distraught he's like no i i wanted him to be free i wanted to make things better and kratos is like sometimes you cannot make things better only better or sometimes you can't make things right only better than they were and that's yeah that's one of the best lines for sure um like you said, that goes and, hand hand in hand with him telling Atreus that intent does not matter, only consequences earlier in the game. Yeah, exactly. And that scene with the bear. And that's something I don't want to neglect that, by the way. The fact that Atreus can turn into a bear and a wolf in this game, 100% in line with Norse mythology. And turning into a wolf when your rage meter fills up is probably one of the reasons I like playing as him so much compared to Kratos. Like, it's just... Oh, yeah, he becomes super fast. You you get, like, flowing combat. You get beautiful, like, bite. You can one bite hit kills. Off of enemies. One hit kills on most enemies, yeah. Yeah, like, biting the heads off of most enemies, and, like, especially if you have the right runes equipped, getting a health burst on that when you uh, get it. Oh, it was always super, super helpful in those moments, like where you feel overwhelmed, but then you just like launch that rage and get some health back, and you're ready to go again. 
plus his runic magic where he can summon the spirits of other animals to help him fight too. Um, oh yeah, like the like the deer and the wolves and the birds. I always summon the wolves. Honestly, I think it's one of the cleanest. I I, I like it the most. <laughs> yeah, because it's like a pack of wolves and they all just pounce on the enemy. It's yep, very exactly. well done, and it helps. Like it helps. Stunlock the enemy when you're playing as Kratos because then you can stunlock the enemy with Atreus' attacks and then go in hard with Kratos with your axe wings and just uh, the way the combat flows in this game was probably one of the cleanest and like most refined that I've seen in a long time and I don't even use every little single combat trick that it has to offer because there's so many that some of them I just forget about when it's like oh yeah if you do this chain attack you can then evade a certain way and chain attack this way and you're like cool i'll forget that in 20 minutes but it's a good feature (laughs) i will say even though i didn't use it very much i did think um during some combat moments the ability to bounce your axe off of these like purple mirrors and hit the Mm -hmm. enemies from behind was really cool especially when those enemies would have like a shield or they'd be blocking from the front you could kind of oh yeah use that against them um, but those mirrors, anytime that they were necessary in a puzzle, that shit usually took me a second to figure out. <laughs> like, uh, some of those, though, some of those puzzles involving those bouncy mirrors were a little complicated in some areas. Especially- yeah, like when you're freeing the halt or whatever uh, they're actually yes, called. another um, b- a beautiful hal- and Halt-Gufa, something e- like that. Yeah, the sky <laughs> jellyfish. Um, yeah, sky jellyfish. That's they the easiest were, way for us to identify with them. And that's the one of the best side quests you can do, because not only is the visual of them flying through the air really beautiful, but, like, the way that it just, like, cures that area of its sandstorm issues after the fact is useful. Yeah. You know, for you Super useful. Around. So, yeah, like, never, never think that... Never think that all of Alfheim is done in a single moment. It's... Yeah, I would say the side quests in this game are like almost mandatory for like the overall narrative and character development. If I'm being honest, yeah, I mean we already talked about the fact that like I already had uh, 42 ravens or something like that by the time I was done with this game because it seemed like even yeah. even the side quest cared more that you were playing the story and you're just finding these things along your side quest, which felt very, very natural. Yes, exactly. And once you get the spear, those ravens are actually easier to hit than with the axe. If you, Oh me. yeah. God. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just easier to aim by a large margin. Oh yes. But yeah, man, we, uh, we've covered so much. We've talked about pretty much everything, set pieces, combat story, major story moments before we wrap up here. Um, you know, are we forgetting anything, you know, that you can think of? I don't know. I I think we covered a fair amount of it. It might have been a little bit sporadic because we're excited to talk about a game that is so refined. Um, yeah, and, we, we and jumped around a bit. To play. <laughs> but that's okay. We jumped around a yeah. bit, but that's okay. That's how these things go sometimes. But definitely, like, if this isn't normally a game that would be within your scope of playing like you're you're normally not like a big action adventure fan pop it onto a lower difficulty and just do yourself the favor of like playing it 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 is very well put together the combat is well balanced it teaches you how to be you know like prepared for battles or it teaches you how to like really play to your strengths and weaknesses uh, teaching you like different build strategies that you can get and everything that you can do in this game is 
greatly improved on uh, even more than it was in the first game, and everything is just... Uh, honestly, it's clean, it's refined, and I think it is damn near game of the year worthy um, in many categories, and I think that uh, if we keep seeing stuff like this in the future, other companies are going to have a lot to answer for. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they definitely set the bar. Okay, well, I was going to ask if you had like any final thoughts, but you basically covered that there, so... Yeah, exactly. If there's anything nitpicky, just tell us in the comment section or something. Tell us how we were bad boys that we needed to talk about a different thing. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll pretty much uh, wrap it up for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and click that like button to feed the algorithm monster. It's a hungry beast and it needs food. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, things that you would like me to read in a future episode, thoughts about the topic as well, you can send them to my email at mroversoul53 at gmail.com. That's M-R-O-V-E-R-S-O-U-L-5-3 at gmail.com or at oversoul53 on Twitter. Or you could just leave them in the comments of this video as well. Dalton, do you have any socials or anything that you would like to plug? Any Twitter, Twitch, your tattoo stuff, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Rockford, Chicagoland area tattoo artist. So if you're in the area, uh, definitely look up my social media. It's Anki Lumberjack on most platforms. And if you want to play video games sometimes, I play Call of Duty. And you can find my PlayStation at the same name, Anki Lumberjack. Uh, I have booking info for my tattoos on there if you feel interested and you like what you see. But other than that, I think that is about it for me. I think you post a lot of your uh, tattoo work on Instagram, is that right? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. Okay, Instagram and Facebook. That's where you want to go to find... Um, and it's uh, Moth Traps Inc. for the tattoo uh, stuff? No, it's still Inky Lumberjack for all of them. Okay, okay. Alright, well that's good to know. Alright folks, well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will catch you in the Let's Plays. Bye-bye! Bye! -bye. Bye.